Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another day, therefore, it's another episode. Today's episode, oh my god, you're in for a treat. I sit down with the wonderful actor Joe Hartley and we go in and it's an absolute delightful chat. I can't wait for you to hear it. Um, I reached out to Joe maybe a year ago. I, I bumped into her at uh, the premiere, uh, maybe longer than that, the premiere of um, Afterlife. I, I was lucky enough to blag a, a plus one with Scroob. And uh, and and since then, Joe guested on Distraction Pieces, which is a wonderful listen. Um, and then I messaged her, and and we got round to having this this wonderful chat. And uh, and I just can't wait for you to hear it because um, if you get an ounce of the joy uh, listening to it as I got from uh, having the chat, then um, then you're in for a real a real treat. Um, before we get on to the chat, just um, a few thank yous. So thank you to Scroobius Pip and, and, and all my mates at the Distraction Pieces Network. Uh, thank you to 76 for producing this podcast. And if this is your first listen of Off the Beaten Track, um, once you finish listening to this uh, ace natter that we have, then um, go and have a look in the archives because you're... You've got access to some great chats with some wonderful creatives. You can listen to me talking to Maxine Peake, to Chuck D from Public Enemy, to Melanie C of the Spice Girls, to Amanda Abington, to Sheik, to Butch Fig, to Fatboy Slim. There's some really good chats to be enjoyed. And uh, so once you're done with this one, then um, head over there and and uh, yeah, have a rummage around in the archives and see if there's anything that, that tickles your fancy there. And if you want to support the podcast, this is a labour of love, this podcast. And uh, if you'd like to support it um, and also get some more bang for your buck, uh, I have a, a Patreon page. And over on there, I put up four shows each week, of just music and chat, uh, some exclusive uh, episodes uh, some video episodes, and you can you can get access to all of that every week for I think it's about eighty seven p a week, um, and that really does help, obviously, because uh, yeah, this is uh, this is a labour of love, and it is a and a real lovely thing as well. And this could not be proven any more than with this episode. So um, let's get on to it. Um, please enjoy this cracking episode of Off the Beaten Track with the wonderful Joe Hartley. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. But I've just reconnected with music in a well, way. Joe, I'll tell you what, I want to press record. 
like oh, because okay. I want to, I want to ca- capture this stuff. I want oh, if when you're talking about your, your love of music. Already <laughs> <laughs> Right, let me just get a backup recording on here, mate. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna go through it. It's um, it's an absolute amazing experience going through back through your life, trying to figure out which ones inspired you. You know. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to say now that that voice you're hearing is is my guest today, and that's Joe Hartley. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I mean, we've just been rabbiting away for the last 15 minutes, and I was like, oh, we should press record in a minute. And I think you thought we was already sort of like halfway through. <laughs> I just thought I just thought we'd dive straight in, and you know, it's probably a good thing because we were saying lots of nice things about Ricky Gervais, so we don't want him to hear all that, and and he'll um, he'll he'd get a big head, wouldn't he, if he heard yeah, that? Yeah, don't want that. Don't want that. <laughs> And and De Niro and Pacino, so you're in good company there, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Joe, how have you found before we get on to talking records? Like, how have you found the last six, seven months um, as both a human being and as a as a creative? Right. Um, well, if I'm really, really honest with you, I. I've found it okay. Like I've tried to keep it in the day. I've tried to, you know, when it, when it first sort of was announced when, you know, when it first sort of arrived and we were all kind of, I'd not really seen the news prior to the March time. I didn't really know it was around. I know it was COVID was around before the sort of late, late 2019. I wasn't aware of that, but I kind of panicked a little bit thinking about my mum and the sort of older people and the people that were vulnerable in my life. I think I was, I knew that it was, it was real that, you know, the, the virus, but I didn't really know. It's the unknown, isn't it? So I kind of, the first couple of weeks I was, my my mum's up with my sister and I was ringing them and saying, you know, I was sort of suggesting all these vitamins and drinking lots of water and doing all this stuff. And I was panicking. And then, as time sort of went on, I wasn't really worried for myself. I didn't think about work. I, I kind of have this routine where I have, you know, I try to keep everything really simple and I do a lot of meditation and a lot of reading and trying to, you know, reach out to others really and help others. The work side, the work side of it, I've been writing, uh, you know, so that's continued. I've just sort of hunkered down and, and, and been writing and doing the stuff that I normally do. Financially, I just was was okay, and I thought, well, you know, it's going to pass at some point. But I had a few acting jobs that I knew was going to come. Um, we wasn't sure when we was going to film film them, but I've been lucky because I've been doing voiceover work, and I set up a little studio in the house and up a little under the cupboard in the cupboard under the stairs, little Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, so I managed to do all right, and after a few weeks, I just realised that actually there's no point in projecting or trying to you know, worry about what it is and work things out because life presents us with these difficult challenges and I'm in a privileged position and I thought it was a good time to try and help others really and pay it forward and just try and stay calm and, you know, not not catastrophize because it doesn't do us any good, does it? And I've been here on the, at the flat on my own and music has been a huge part of it. Music, writing, cooking, um, you know, engaging all the five senses, trying to be present because there is no problem in the present moment it's only when we project or we kind of look back and we have all these kind of moments where 
we base our future experiences on our past experiences and that's not true it's you can have a new experience in the present moment and I was watching a lot of Ricky's things on Twitter and Facebook actually those little 20 minutes that he was doing they were hilarious and still doing them really I thought that was a really kind act to you know it was like an act of fun but service as well, you know, connecting with the public. And I think that's what you was talking about before, about not being able to be connected to your people and your club. And, you know, we was talking about that. And I think, see, Zoom's great, isn't it? It's doing the job, but there's a missing essence of energy. Yeah. Like we have, when I see a human being, I see their eyelashes in their face and I see your lovely beard, Stu, and I get to <laughs> tell the scent that you've got on and I see your clothes and the texture of it. But on Zoom, it's a little bit impersonal. It's like a flat screen. There's no dimensions. And I, I, I just feel that human beings need connection. Um, I've got my two little budgies here. I went through a bit of a sad time because I lost my first budgie that I found in a bin near Stratford and I nursed him and looked after him and then for four years he lived with me and he passed away in lockdown so um, but I I I know people have been through a lot of difficult times and you know people have had real jobs to do you know like looking after others so I've kind of just got on with it Stu to be honest I'm yeah I've just tried to be be of service because there's, there's people that need the need like the positive energy and you know if I felt a bit down or I don't I just don't get I just I'm fine you know but um I speak to people I'm honest I tell them I just get on with it and say look I don't feel so good today and sometimes it's down to hormones lack of sleep you know but I just move on then you accept it and move on we're not meant to feel feel good all the time are we totally totally otherwise you you wouldn't know what feeling good meant if you didn't you know have the uh, the opposite of that do you know what I mean exactly. The, the pain is like the touchstone to our growth. You know, there's only really anything that the only thing that matters, as I've learned in later life, as I've gone through painful times and self-will and, and the ability to try and kind of control and recapture the past, which is what we're going to talk about. Because there's so the music of the clubbing scene. I've often tried to recapture that. I've realized that you can't. And you have to continue to have a new experience and you have to accept where you are at and um we're lucky to be alive you know I'm very grateful to be here and to be alive and life like Ricky says is not it's there's no uh, sequel right yeah. well there might be. I don't know I, who knows but I, I believe that we we should be here to to sort of enjoy it but also serve others and and I think that's what I've noticed in lockdown like with the NHS and all the coming together people really coming together but we don't get guided so so well. So everyone's full of fear and confusion. And, um, you know, I was talking to my brother the other day and it's like people are just so confused. So not everybody's equipped to, you know, so true. deal with it. But we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Look, we've been through worse things, I guess, uh, you know, personally and globally. So definitely. Well, one of the, the things that, you know, hopefully people lean on, this is my tenuous link here, uh, is music. And uh, and so, you know, it's definitely a welcome distraction for, for me during these, these recent months. And uh, and so I'm going to ask you for your first track, Joe, which is the song that you think has got the greatest ever intro. Oh, well, <laughs> like I said, I'm an indecisive young lady, but... Um, I music is is actually a gateway to a connection with a higher power for me it, it's one of them amongst like we was talking cooking and 
you know, just smells and like candles, just being out in nature as well. But I think for me that there's, there's a couple, right. But the first one that came to me was Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. Lovely. Yeah. The reason for that is it just, it always makes me feel something like really deep in my gut. Like it's like a really sexy sort of just bad, badass song because it connects me straight away to Scorsese. Always, it, it, always. <laughs> so, so I went to see the Rolling Stones, um, I think a couple of years ago at, at, at sort of the, the stadium near me in Stratford. And I just thought, oh, yeah, whatever, they're all right. You know, it's great, they're good. I mean, obviously, they're amazing, but I've known them through Scorsese, right? Not as the Rolling Stones. I went to the concert and I literally had a spiritual experience. There was a moment where Mick Jagger, I mean, I just thought he's one of the eighth wonders. He's the eighth wonder of the world, right? He's like comes out on stage. He's dancing. The sun's coming down. It's like black, the clouds, it's amazing. And he starts to sing. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometime, you might get what you need. And I just started crying. And it was like, Oh my God. And I came home and I watched all the documentaries. I listened to all the songs on repeat for like weeks. I had a similar experience about four years ago. I tweeted, um, Oh my God. Uh, 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 what is it? I must've been asleep. The Beatles are amazing. And someone tweeted me back saying that that's a long fucking sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, right. You only get to something when you get to it. Right. Yeah. I'd, I'd heard because I was in that scene of like the eighties, the Hacienda acid rave scene. I I don't and when I was younger, mum and dad was into like Frank Sinatra, Frank Sinatra, like Jimmy Durante, all those kind of Nat King Cole. So that was the music. I'd heard Elvis and the Beatles, but these were the it was like all that kind of music. And I just started listening to the Beatles and I was like, what have I been doing? Where have I been? So I had a few moments like that where I'm a bit of a dope and I'll just wake up to something and it'll be like, boom. But Gimme Shelter's the the one that I went to and then there was there was another one that I is amazing. Can I put can I put that one in? Yeah, go for it. It's Hallelujah by the Happy Mondays. I listened to that last night. Oh my god! It's just it's like the club mix. It's just it's just. It's, it's got to be that mix. It's got to be that mix, though. Yeah, it's got to be that mix because it's like the beginning is amazing, and then you know stuff like White Room by Cream, and you know that. I don't know, there's millions, and I've heard some of your podcasts and there's been some great ones picked out. But I think, yeah, it's also like Fine Time as well by New Order, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, like, special. Sometimes not as long as some of the others, but Gimme Shelter's the one that connected me with with the Scorsese thing. I always feel just so cool when I'm listening to it. I don't know why. I just feel like something's happening to me. It's like electricity goes through my body. Do you know what? Like what you said about seeing the Stones. I saw the Stones, I reckon, eight years ago at Twickenham, and uh, and I thought I'll go and see them. This must be their last tour because they're all about three hundred, aren't they? And yeah. <laughs> and he come out, and and my my knowledge of the Stones, in all honesty, was like I knew all the hits. I didn't really know all the album tracks or anything like that. Mick Jagger did not stop moving. <laughs> for about two and a half hours. And I just think, like, this is ridiculous. They all looked so cool. But when it started, the lights went down and it just lit up um, Keith and he played the opening chords to Jack Flash and it was like, 
oh my god, this is incredible. And there's a million bands I like more than the Stones, but that moment just made me yeah. think it's there are lots of other bands, but then there is the Beatles, the Stones, the people that yeah. there's a reason that they're still doing what they do. And it yeah. was oh, it was magical, absolutely magical. I totally get what you're saying, Joe. It's just it, look, there's loads of like the doors and all that. There's just the, the openings are brilliant. It's like you're so cool as well by Hans Zimmer. There's no vocal on it, but it's it's it just makes me want to cry. It's like unbelievable, but it, it, it's really powerful because um, paint. There's a is there a song in Mean Streets? Is it where Bob Bob De Niro's character comes in and is it painted black? I don't know black, what. Yeah. It's just all that. It just it just links me back to like visuals and. That for me is a really big part of the sound. Like being an act, being sort of an actor, and re- remembering all those seventies movies and all that music. Scorsese, I went to see him at BAFTA, and he talked about his career, and it was just mind blowing. He's, he's, he's possibly my favourite director. He's, he's one of them. It's very difficult to choose again, like a song. But he talked about how he can't make a film without. He won't make a film. He could do, but he won't make a film without music. He links every scene to a song, and I love his music in his movies. It's it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Just yeah, just just unbelievable, really. I, I think that does work the other way as well. I'm sure there's so many you know musicians that when they're when they're writing and when they're, you know, because I guess music videos are short films in some way, shape or form, aren't they? And it's like, you know, I like to, when I when I hear music, I can sort of see it. And I don't mean that as in I can see music notes floating through the air. It's like I can picture scenarios. If I've got my headphones on walking down the street listening to records, I'm in a video. And, yes. like, and I'm, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you remember that? What was the one? Was it Rich, Richard Ashcroft? When yeah, walking Bit of Sweet Symphony. Oh, what's that all about? And then was it? It was the other one. There was a massive lady. attack. Yeah, that's it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so good. You're helping me. But there was. It, it, I think music really changes movies and and the other way around as well. But it's like uh, Amelie, the soundtrack to Amelie, and um, the soundtrack to um, Jesse James' film. You know, with, with oh, the um, the Nick Cave and and Warren Ellis that. Wow, just like what, just unbelievable. And I sit here and I listen. I just, I just pop a movie soundtrack on when I'm on the flat. I just play it round, and I, it, it's kind of like, yeah, what mood am I in? I mean, Woody Allen had some amazing soundtracks, you know, to his movies, and always like John. Is it John, John Williams and Hans Zimmer and all? Hans that. Zimmer is my go-to if I'm if I'm feeling a little bit kind of somber and I want something to indulge that. The track time from Shutter Island, I believe, or no, is it Inception? Yeah, wow. And it's there's a performance live, and he's got Johnny Marr on stage playing guitar with him. And oh my god, the goosebumps are out already, Joe. Like it's it's absolutely stunning. It's so grand, and it just keeps lifting and lifting and lifting. If you've not heard that, go and have a little listen afterwards, mate. I'm excited. I've got (laughs) to listen to. Thanks, Joe. I'll take. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, track two. The first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please, Joe. Oh, well, there's so many. There's so many because it's so many different. There's so many different um, experiences uh, at different times. There are two that really stand out to me. Um, there's three, actually, but no, there's four. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you the first one. Uh, Thieves Like Us, New Order. Great. And I'll tell you why, because it was my first relationship. And Bobby, um, my boyfriend, who actually was a DJ in the Hacienda later on in The Fifth Man and, and was the person that introduced me to all this amazing music, sort of, he, he played it to me one day and was like, this is a song that makes me think about you. And I just loved it. It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And it's very cool. And it's just... Not everyone will have that experience, but it means a lot to me. And then there's songs like, um, there was a song by Bob Dylan called I and I off of of an album, Infidels. And I remember a period of my life where I was traveling a lot and I was away and I was listening to that particular album. And it just always made me feel so, something again, like in the core of me, like not a sadness, but there was like a connection. Like a like a, a longing. Yeah, like a longing or like a kind of, um, I don't know, yeah, just something really, really powerful. Not a sadness, but sort of, yeah, just a deeper a deeper sort of feeling that I didn't quite understand at the time and I kind of do now. It's different. It's like a, yeah, something unknown was coming. I don't know. And then obviously um, there was a, there's a song called Claire it's Claire de Lune you know it's Frankie and Johnny the movie Frankie and Johnny but Somewhere Over the Rainbow was the very very first one Judy Garland it Wizard of Oz is my favorite movie well there's one other that I kind of got to when I was older um uh, you know uh I'll talk about that in a bit because it's the next it's the first record I bought but um yeah, Somewhere Over the Rainbow was the first song that made me cry. I know it's a really common one and really I know that other people have sang it, but Judy Garland is something, when she sings, it does something to me. I just feel like she's magical. She She's so super talented and yet it was such a bittersweet journey for her and all the troubles she had, she, still, she was a true star. Yeah. She, she went through so much darkness and was treated so badly, but she shone. She had an essence of energy that nobody could 
put out even when she was going through a difficult years with whatever she went through or you know we never know because we're not there and we're not her but she is my favorite actress and that song was there's many many I could go on for it but that song really was so beautiful and it made me feel like I wanted to be magical I wanted to be untouchable and I wanted to be an actress I wanted to be I wanted to be a movie star I wanted to be I want I used to sit and watch the Oscars every year it was just a life that was untouchable to me and it was really coming from like a working class background in Manchester and you know losing my father at 17 years old dreaming of being an actor never feeling good enough or never really having the money or thinking it was something that posh people did it was that kind of yearning and that's what's coming up with my next one it's like I always knew deep down in me that I was going to do this job but I didn't know how and there was after my dad died I hit like the the ACN, it was like 87. I hit that scene and my world just opened up and I became an adult. I, I kind of had these experiences with all these things that we go through, sex, drugs, rock and roll, everything. But I traveled, I went to Japan for five years, was an air hostess. I lived in Amsterdam for a year and I traveled around and I always acted. I always had one-on-one lessons. I always watched movies. I could watch four or five movies a day. I was obsessed with Scorsese and John Cassavetes and, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, The Godfather, just the conversation, all these movies, and I was obsessed. And I knew, and then eventually, when I was about 25, I lived in London and I sort of left the airlines. I'd always earned money. I always had a lot of money, you know. I was always lucky that way. I never chased it. I never saved it. I spent it all on the rave scene, raving, party, you know. But um, I kind of went to this Questers, Questers in Ealing. I went to this drama class and I did like two nights a week and a weekend. And we studied Stanislavski and then I had these other lessons and I just started to get this confidence to try and, you know, put myself forward for things. And I just couldn't get in. You couldn't get an agent without a showreel, couldn't get a showreel without getting a job. And then I, I 24-hour party people happened and I was working with a guy called Tom and we was doing this gorilla film um, and I met a few people. I met Michael Winterbottom. He gave us some film stock to do this movie in Manchester. And it was it was a mad time. And I got this showreel together and I, I showed it to somebody and they said, oh, that's great. And I got an agent. Um, I ended up getting an agent in Manchester. And then this agent, um, Nylon Management, he'd been in 24-7. And he phoned me one day. I was in London and he said, oh, I've got a... I've got a meeting for you on Monday with this, for this commercial. I said, I don't want to be a, in a commercial. I want to be an actor. I want to be an actor. He said, well, that's what it is. And he said, you're going to meet Shane Meadows. And I said, who's that? And I've not seen any of his films. I didn't know about 24-7 or, you know, uh, Room for Romeo Brass or Where's the Money Running? And uh, I couldn't get any of it from HMB at the time. I couldn't get anything anywhere. And I went along to this audition and Shane, we just clicked. And I, he, I had to sing It's Raining Men by the Weather Girls, pretend to be drunk. Shane fell off the seat laughing. And then two days later, I got a call saying he loves you, like you got to have another meeting with the clients. And I got this commercial and the rest is history, really. He saw something in me that no one else had seen. And he, he gave me an opportunity that changed my life. I'm going to cry. Sorry, I'm getting upset. <laughs> so was that, was that Dead Man's Shoes first, Joe? Yeah, Dead Man's Shoes. So the first thing was he sent me this script. And I looked at it all the way through, honestly, Stu, to see what the part of it at the end, it was a little bit, and I thought, that's not very big. It was totally like, that was my experience. 
And then I went along and I was asked to go to the Nottingham uh, cinema, you know, that. And I turned up and Paddy Considine was sat there. And I swear, I was just like, what? Two days before I'd seen The Last Resort and I thought, who's that actor? And honestly, Stu, two days later, I met him. And I saw Paddy the other day, actually, in London. Um, and he looks he looks wonderful. He looks so well. He's such a beautiful person. My friend who I was with, Eddie, went, what an energy he's got. I said, yeah, he's unbelievable. And um, that was my first movie. Wow. So, and that's how I met The Meadows. And the story goes on. So... Just going back to something you said about, um, you know, being being working class and 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 and, and, and being based up north, um, and you know, was it attainable? Even though you always thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, like, has that has that ever sort of carried through? Do you ever suffer from like imposter syndrome? Like, is that something that you know that you ever sort of get now, or is it something that you feel? No, do you know what? I've earned my stripes. You know, I deserve to be here. Like, how do you how do you deal with kind of you know meeting people like you know some of the, the aforementioned there? And you know, do you think well, no, I've, I've I've you know I've done what I've done, so I've got every right to be here. Such an amazing question that because I. First of all, the beginning of the question, I believe, and looking back now, being more aware of myself, I look back and, and in those days, a lot, of, a lot of my actions were driven by fear. So I did order and, and call in for like uh, RADA and Mountview and all these application forms, and I never sat and fill, filled them in. Stu and I never sent them off so I never took the action like procrastination and fear was my main that was my main thing it blocked me and I believe that there were limited options for people from that kind of background I, I was from a good working class family you know we sit around the table and we have dinner every every night we had food we had three three holidays a year at Pontins or Butlins you know what I mean <laughs> we did good mate my mum and dad I was just saying to my mum the other day we had Christmas presents in the corner of the house every year Four lots of Christmas presents. Me, Stephen, Ian and Jane. My mum and dad were just unbelievable. That's why when dad died, it was just, it blew us apart. But we all became closer. It's a, it's a horrible thing to lose a parent. And my dad was such a big influence. He was a drummer. He used to sing in, in working man's clubs and he had his own business as well and stuff. But, you know, he used to have a, like a, a round where he'd sell cooked meats and sausages and all that. And we never went without. If I, if I wanted, we'd had, like, you know, our lovely clothes and the rest of it. And we had a loving a loving set there but for some reason I was riddled by this fear and the, this imposter syndrome not good enough can't do it and and that has absolutely changed since I've taken full kind of I've had an experience in my life where I was driven by outside things I was driven by sort of prestige and power and status and I had to I was my job I I, I wanted to be somebody and um what is that? That's something coming from internally. And you don't know that when you're in your 20s and your 30s or whatever. You might do. Some people do, but I didn't. That was my experience. And I went through a period after the rave scene and after a few personal things like a breakup and just moving around a lot where I felt so restless within myself. And that, as you say, imposter syndrome, that I, I went through a, a really difficult time in my own life. And something changed and I, I ended up changing my lifestyle, changing my, you know, the way I was living. And over a period of time, 
practicing meditation and helping others and taking care of myself, I started to have an experience internally and I started to realize that I was good enough and 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 what happens now is that I turn up to work and I let something work through me I prepare for my job and I'm not sort of driven by who people are or the outcome of a job I'm not it's just my experience now but I had to go through a very painful experience and some self-realization that I was the problem and it was my own perception that was blocking me off from being truly who I was and, and not allowing that energy to come through it's like where I wouldn't I don't think I would be working with people like Ricky and people like that now because you know you, you just I don't know when you let go of the outcome as an actor about five six years ago I just realized one day I wasn't looking for my next job I'd let go of the desperation and that need to prove myself and weirdly paradoxically something started to happen everything you started to come to me when my primary purpose became something else helping other people and trying to live a present life like a day at a time you know what I mean and and what happened was everything started to be attracted to me that was meant to come to me and it's a bit like Jim Carrey says you get the parts that are meant for you and I I really and I'd, I'd say to any young actor that's struggling with that it's also not just a a material external journey it's a spiritual journey acting because it is physical mind body spirit it's about it's all about confidence and that's that brings me to in my skin in my skin was a job that was given to me it was a great responsibility I've, I've never experienced bipolar so how was I going to play this role well I was going to have to use emotional recall and my five senses and I was going to have to use music and movies and visuals and mimicry And what happened when I did that and I let go and let something work through me because I wasn't conscious of what people on set were thinking of me. The director kept me away from everyone. I was confident enough to just stay in character. Yeah, it was letting go of that pride. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, what I've learned, Stu, is that the jobs don't fix me and I am not my job. And I've become better at it by letting go of the expectation of, of it fixing me. So nothing's ever enough. Does that make sense? So I could get a job tomorrow with Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro and have a great time for six weeks, but I'd still have that internal irritable, restless and discontentment that I'd have to, I'd have to address with my own behaviors and actions. How am I doing? How am I, how am I treating people? What am I eating? Am I sleeping enough? And I don't know if that's getting old, but I I believe it's the journey that Carl Jung talks about, the spiritual journey where at some point in our life, we I think we call it a midlife crisis or a breakdown, but we have to accept that we're not in charge. And all that sounds odd. It's letting go. And what we think's right for us, there's always something better for us. So just letting go and accepting what is. There's a big... There's a big freedom in that. And that's where that's that's how I've dealt with imposter syndrome. I don't want to sit here and, and say that I don't have any fear when I go on set. And I don't, of course, I just, we was talking about Chris Walken and De Niro. And even when I went on set with Ricky, I was like, when I first met Ricky, I'd not seen all his shows. And I, you know, I just kind of went along and had this little chat with him. And then, and then I watched him and thought, oh my God, he's a genius. What? Anyway, when I got on set, it was just so lovely and, and honest that, you, you you know, but you still feel a little bit of anxiety and fear is good. It means that you care, but you must prepare. If you don't prepare, then it's self-centered fear. You're going to mess it up and it's, 
yeah it's um I don't I don't really have imposter syndrome anymore because I am who I am and I'm enough and that's it I don't need to be better or worse there's people better and worse but I I do sometimes have fear because um I'm human so that's it perfect answer Joe. what is the song that reminds you of your time at school oh this is get this is where it gets cheesy <laughs> this is the one this is the one that's got to be shit <laughs> it's gonna be shit I mean, it's not actually shit but it kind of is it's like it's it's fame irene cara oh it's an amazing record <laughs> oh but it's still cheesy isn't it it's like no so there's it, it it's it's that it's really i thought about it and i had like to pow to pow and bros yeah like Dude, honestly, and there was so many like kids in America came out, but it was and that hey Mickey, hey yeah. Mickey, but it, it was fame, Irene Cara, and I remember jumping off the walls and wearing leg it leg warmers, and like that that was just me. I wanted to be an actor, I wanted to do all that. It was brilliant. So I had a little dance to that in the flat the other night. Oh, it's a cracking tune. And I'll tell you what, like I'm 47, and I reckon when that came on the TV, like like every other kid, I was just transfixed by fame, and like, yeah. and I lived not far from the college I ended up going to many years later, and I could see their big kind of like refectory sort of canteen type thing, and mm. like when I was sort of walking to like you know junior school, and I would always think like, obviously every lunchtime there's people doing like splits off of the tables, and everybody's <laughs> doing sort of like synchronized dance routines, and it feel you know it spills out into the road on over cars. When I got to that college, it was quite a disappointment. I got to be honest, Joe. There was none of that going on. No, no. We used to dance. We used to dance in the in the playground and do. I think it was secondary school, but we used to make dances up. And I remember just it was, it was just so good. I remember those sorts of things as well. And that program was on. It was like water on the windows, like Sunday roast, the smell of like soggy vegetables, and like get you know what I mean. All that stuff. It reminds me really of like yeah, school and you. But there was loads. There was loads of stuff. But that that I think that was the one for school. The one like to power and Bross was. I think that was a bit later actually. But um, I the Tiger Survivor. That yeah. was a cheap one. Come on, Rocky. <laughs> they're, all, they're all connected to movies. I was a right little geek. Did you did you enjoy school, Joe? I loved school. I did. I know people don't, but like, I wasn't very popular at school. I wasn't the cool girl with the makeup on with the boyfriends. I was a bit of a geek. I was, I was into like, I was on the rounders team and the netball team, gymnastics. I was really like, I always wanted to do acting at school. Never got picked. You know, the teachers never picked me. They always had other favourites, and I was so gutted. I was like, I'll show you lot. Uh, that was the that was the drive, Stu. I'll let you into a secret, Joe. The geeks, they're the best ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was such a, a little geek, honestly. I was just like, oh, but I'll tell you what else um, I remember at school. Towards the end, like, sitting at the back of the class, taking off, like, French and Saunders and girls on top and making, getting into trouble and getting, I never, I never, like, bunked off school. I was too scared. Oh, God, no. I went on a few exchanges like to France and Germany, but I was I was pretty and I did all right in my exams. I failed my maths mark and then I got a private tutor that lived just up the road on Cathedral Road. My mum sent me and I passed eventually. I did I passed my exam. But I I yeah, I, I sort of I loved school really. I had a few mates and it wasn't far from the house and yeah, I used to love coming home and having me tea with the family and 
yeah, I had older brothers and sister, one sister, two brothers, and they would see their music to our Ian's, like Ricky's age. So it was all like Bowie and T Rex. And oh, nice. They, they all used to have parties with like weird gloves on and like meshed, you know, what is it, new romantic? I don't know, mod, nods and new romantics yeah. and all that, lipstick and all that stuff. <laughs> That picture of Ricky when he posts it, it's really good. Like so that, good. That vibe. With the old hair like that. Come on. What's happened? Who did that? <laughs> <laughs> but I loved all that. Yeah, I was lucky to have older brothers and sisters who introduced me to good music. Okay, well, look, while we're talking about introduction to music and uh, and, and those formative years, um, what was the first song you remember buying from a record shop, Joe? Now, this one can't be cool. No, I, well, I don't. It is, though, because it, it's the first one I actually remember buying was the Once Upon a Time in America album, and Ennio Morricone. My like God, you was a geek, wasn't you? Well, that was it. That, but I don't... That was later, because I think my brother had all this final, all these songs, but I, I think... I would, I would say, I can't remember what the other one. I know it was between, it was Joyce Sims or Tracy Chapman. Yeah. And it was, it was, do you remember Coming to My Life and All, oh, all in All? All in All, Coming to My Life, amazing records. That's them, that's the one. It was Joyce Sims, I remember being at a party above a thing in Oldham, Dolly Boshers, and um, I think I was with Bobby and all them, and it was just, it used to come on, and I used just to do this really... Like, I'm rock hard dance. I am just rock hard. Don't mess with me. And it was hilarious. We all used to do this this mad dancing, and that was it, I think. And the other record that I know influenced me, but I don't think I bought it, was the Beastie Boys. It, it changed my life. Like, that was the time when I met Bobby. And I remember this guy singing Girls to Me on the top of a bus. And um, it was just a brilliant time. I used to wear, like... Adidas high tops and like tracky bottoms, Marco Polo t-shirts, and we all used to go in Chadderton Park. There was a big group of us, and we'd listen to like the Beastie Boys and I don't know Public Enemy and Run DMC. It was unbelievable. So that, but I think the, the definitely the first record that I bought was uh, Once Upon a Time in America, the soundtrack. I mean, that's by far the coolest one that anyone's ever chosen. It's ridiculous. I mean, I, I didn't know I was doing it. I, I didn't know I was being cool. I just absolutely, that was another song that I, I wanted to put on. Deborah's theme was something that made me cry when I heard it. It was a Sunday night. I'd been out raving all weekend and I lay on the couch watching Once Upon a Time in America and it changed my life. And I was like, I want to be an actor. This is what I want to do. And that song and the scene with her in the in the in the cafe when they go and he takes her for dinner on her own. And I just, I just was like, Oh God. And obviously it's, it's a, it's a dark moment. But prior to that moment, it was just the most romantic thing that anyone had ever done. And I loved Robert De Niro when he was young and I was obsessed with that song. And that's that movie is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. So I do remember buying that in Affleck's palace in Manchester, and that I don't remember buying other songs, but I know the ones that were, that really influenced me at that time was like the Beastie Boys and Joy Sims. Have you um have you seen the recent Beastie Boys documentary? Oh my god, uh, saw it the other night. I loved. I cried. I loved them. I bawled my eyes out, Joe. Like when they got to MCA, I was like, oh, couldn't deal with it. You know- I'm going to really say something to you. I was influenced by them massively. It was a turning point. My dad had just died. I was dating my first boyfriend, first love, 
it was all kicking off with the SCN during the beginning of that that thing for me, 87. And they really, they did something. It was a song that, you know, various different songs, uh, like Brass Monkey, things like that. And it was, yeah, just mad ones. <laughs> you know, that but all Joe, that. I, I honestly think that that was our punk. Because, <laughs> because for me... You know, uh, you know, we we was doing all the stuff that you were saying in the park. We was also out robbing VW signs off of the front of cars to put them around yeah. our necks. Do you know what I mean? And it was like, and it was so raucous. And you know, the press were putting them on the front pages saying we don't want them in this country. And it was like, I, you know, when you look back through musical history, that hadn't happened since the Pistols, pretty much. And no. it was like these these three American frat boys. And I just loved the journey in that documentary yeah. where they talk about how they completely changed their outlook on on life you know when you know they look back at the track girls as a prime example being like they're not the people we are now you know it was like because it was so so, you know you're so right I think they I identified with their emotional and spiritual journey that's what I've been on when you just go just grow up now stop trying to recapture the past it's not working for you you're smashing yourself to bits it's gonna kill you it's just not it's not it's gone yeah I'm so happy I got through it and came out of that alive because that scene was was one of the most unbelievable experiences I've ever had. Last night I was listening to some of these clubbing tracks and I was literally crying in the flat. I was dancing. I was dancing in the flat, Stu, on my own, just going. I could feel and smell as the sweat in the rooms. And But I, that thing with the Beastie Boys, when I sat and watched that, I just thought, I don't even know how good these guys are. And I went away and started listening to all... Because you go for all the famous ones. You go for the ones that you hear when you're younger. I remember, like, Sabotage and stuff like that. I just remember, like, Paul Revere. And I remember those songs and I'm going, oh, that... But then when you actually listen to the the, the hidden ones, the, the songs that people don't really know, and you look at their journey and you, you watch that documentary, I just thought, you're just amazing. Absolutely. You, it's massive they're massive they're, they're major and um and the cool the three coolest men to ever walk this earth they're beyond yeah. cool they always look so cool like everything you know they've done just screamed cool it was ridiculous because they weren't even trying and it's like adam you know i just thought it was a bit of a phenomenon the way he went through that spiritual journey and met meeting the dalai lama and doing the stuff for tibet and and he always had the idea. He was always full of energy. He was always never giving up, and that I, I identify with that drive. I do because, you know, I've had to do it sort of myself. Really, it's always been a very difficult journey with the acting. It's been like constant knockbacks. Like you know, I started off really young. It wasn't didn't pick up, and then it's like you know, you you go off and you do other things, and you come back, and I've just kept going. I've just kept going, and I've had this spirit of like optimism and don't give up and and I think that is why we succeed it's the hours you put in and the attitude you have it's not necessarily the level of talent that you that you sort of have and in a way the Beastie Boys are a prime example of that not realizing how good they are when they first started off that album was amazing then they did a a second one it was like you know they then they just said why don't we just do what we want and they played all genres of music and it worked because they didn't, they weren't trying. They weren't trying. They were being authentic. Well, we're going to go back again. And uh, you said that, you know, you wanted to move on from smashing yourself to bits. I'm going to take you back to probably being smashed 
And uh, and for track five, Joe, the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. I can't, I can't give you one, Stu. So you was clubbing in the hacienda, right? Oh, full page. I've got two pages. <laughs> it's so hard, right? So my my career, my clubbing career started in scandals in Royton. It was a cheesy, amazing pop club where I wore scandals. Scandals, mate. What a great it, name. Scandals in Royton, double brandy and Cokes, more hairspray than you've ever seen. I'm going to send you a picture after this. I look older there than I do now. Um, Luther Vandross, never too much. Oh, what a record. Look, but it's not, I'm not, I can't choose that from a clubbing one, but this, with this, I'm going to give you the journey of the clubs. Scandals. Luther Vandross, right on time, and 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 um, and then it was the Hacienda back straight into the Hacienda. I remember meeting Bobby at uh, Franklin's Pub in Chatterton. There was a group of them. He just obviously saw me and just fell in love with me. Uh, and they ripped up their New Year's Eve tickets. And Grimmy, who's the brother of Grimmy, the DJ, the you know, the amazing was going mad. He was like, what are you doing? You can't, we can't rip our New Year's Eve Hacienda tickets up. And Bobby went, I'm staying here with Joe and they didn't go. And we, had, we ended up having a night in Franklin's. And every year after that, we went to the Hacienda. But I think for me, I, I know it's an obviously an ob- obvious one, but Voodoo Ray was like a big clubbing tune for me. Um, it was the one that I remember the first, but then, then... Yeah, a guy called Gerald, amazing. I know it's very common. But then I hit the Thunderdome and it was stuff like Carino, Tikoi. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, my God. And then and then sort of things like Your Love, Frankie Knuckles, um, things like You Used to Hold Me, Ralphie Rosario, That those weird, like... But really, it was kind of, I don't know, Acid, Acid House, the first time I went to... The Hacienda, Maurice, Acid, you know, that kind yeah. of madness. But I, re- I remember, like, also, one night in the Hacienda, they, they played Madonna, Vogue, and it just blew my mind. She played the Hacienda, didn't she? She played the Hacienda before First I got First tour, wasn't it? Like... Yeah, yeah. She played she played the Hacienda before I got there and then I hit the Hacienda about I think it might have been about 88, 89. I started going out early. What 87. a time to be going to the Hacienda. Oh my god, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I was in the thick of it. So I there was a group of us. Um, you know, I used to hang out with Bernard from New from New Order. I used to we used to all there was a corner where we'd go. Sean, Ryder, all of them. I'm, I'm friends with them all. I met them all. I clubbed with them all. I parted with them all. We used to go in the Hacienda. You know, Gilly was a really good friend of mine from the Inspiral Carpets. Um, we used to go to his gigs. So there was like a big group of us from Chatterton. Bobby, Grimmy, Griff, Colin. Um, Cole White is a music shop in Manchester, Vinyl Revival. And, and then Gilly. And we travelled all around. And in that time, I remember meeting Noel. He was dating a friend of mine. Uh, they used to live in India House. Was he that was, when he was working for Gilly then? He was working for the Spiral Carpets. Yeah. None of them was, look, they weren't big then. Like, So what happened was I met 
I met those people at gigs through people that were bouncers and friends of mine. There was a there was a double thing going on. So there was musicians and there was criminals and there was just there was this whole array of like these characters. And we'd go to the hacienda. We'd be on the guest list, you know. We managed to get. I was at the time friends with the doorman, and I used to buy them cigars. I was an air hostess, so I used to get them all this free stuff. And uh, we used to get in. Bobby was like DJing as well. But when when I first, I remember the first night I went to the hacienda. And I wore a white pair of Levi's, a red jumper and some brown brogues. That's amazing you can remember what you was wearing. I remember it. And it was a night. And I remember the first time I hit that club and coming out with my hair, sweat, just long hair, no makeup. It wasn't sweating, just like, whoa, what is this? This is unbelievable. And then the Thunderdome, which is where sort of I've written them down because it was like, Stuff like Pacific State, 808 State, and um, You've Got the Love, but Carino, Tikoi, I remember it. I remember it. Dun, 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 dun. And you'd be like, just dancing on the spot, sweating, or you'd be like, it's, it was amazing. It was like, we used to go to Conspiracy as well, but we went to like Corn Exchange in Leeds. And then back to the Hacienda, because Bobby was then, um, you know, DJing. But it was like Strings of Life and stuff like that, Rich in oh, Paradise. what a record. Yeah, Rich I think in that's... Paradise. Wow, what another great record. Rich in Paradise, FBI Project, Strings of Life. Um, oh, just, yeah, I had them all on last night and I was like, I can't do this bit. But I think, I don't know. I don't I don't think Voodoo Ray would be would, would be the choice. I, I think you'd have to go for something like the Carino tune or Strings of Life or, you know, oh, Weekend, Todd Terry. Oh, what a great record. There's too many. I hope you can put all these on there. Uh, I mean, they're on a lot of my playlists on Spotify already, Joe. so it's not a, bit not, a problem. I'm not really, uh, you know, doing anything different there, but it was, a, it was a time where, oh, it was just a time of, like, discovery and magic and friendship. Um, You're so lucky, Joe. You're so lucky. Like, down here in, in, in Essex, we, we, we would go to, to, to my club, which was playing all of that. But all we wanted to do was go to the Hacienda. It was like, that was the, you know, that Manchester was the capital of the UK then. You know, it was like all your favourite bands, all of your favourite producers, all of your favourite DJs, they were all there. And it was like, oh, I'd give my right arm to have gone there. You know what? It was just, it just happened to me. I happened to be in that place at the time and be dating somebody who knew everyone. I mean, he's really good friends with like Mike Pickering and all that. So it was... It happened, and I didn't. I didn't think it was something big at the time. I just knew something was happening, and we'd often go. I'd go in the hacienda, and we'd all have a great night. And then at the end, someone'd say, "We're going here, or we're going there, or someone's having a party." And I'd end up at like Bernard's party, or I'd be I'd be at Sean's house or something. We all like my friend was a bouncer. There's a club called Hippos as well. Move your body. Uh, do you remember that by Expansions? Like yeah. all that. Kind of, and he was the bouncer there, but he was the. I think he was the. The, the sort of security for the tour management of the Happy Mondays. Um, and then we kind of just used to all end up somewhere, um, you know, and then Wonderwall come out. They created Oasis and Wonderwall came out and it just changed everything. And it was like, wow. And, and, the, and then the, the years after that, that scene also, because it changed from the Hacienda. So you started off and you'd wear your flares and your Adidas and your T-shirts, and then it turned into, like, the early 90s. I was wearing suits and really, really posh dresses and, like, 
super different vibe. Um, and I used to go, I went to like Blackburn and raves and like stood on cars and raved. I never went to Joy and lived the dream um, that was run, I think, by the Geogoy lot that I never got to those raves. But I used to go to Blackburn every week. And so it evolved, actually, that scene for me. It started off quite raw and gritty and a bit a bit messy and then it got quite classy and sophisticated and it was guestless and VIPs and we kind of like evolved and then I I thought I need to get away from Manchester it was getting really heavy and uh, I ended up going to Japan and I remember being in Japan with like the prodigy in Rapongi and my friend Helen was really good friends with them all and we just honestly Stu I just ended up with people and I was in that click of people that knew people and someone would always put you on the guest list or you'd jump in someone's car and yeah I mean I was friends with Bez and and and, you know I've I've seen Noel a couple of times I don't see him very much but when I do we say hello and I mean he's he's lovely and 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 sort of Liam I went to I went to Spike Island as well just throw that in there as well just dropping that in there it's not it's it's it's, Kensington Palace is nearly as good as Spike Island (laughs) Listen, I've just had a ball and it's all just stopped now. And I stay at home and make banana bread and meditate. That's it. <laughs> it's like, it's driven me to the edge. I've gone from raving with all the coolest people in Manchester to making banana bread with my higher power. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's talk home. Uh, for track six, Joe, the favourite... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. from an artist from your home county please that's ridiculous how can i choose that? how many answers you got for this six, six. <laughs> rattle them off oh my god right so oh uh, what can i which one should i have oh i might i might have to have stone roses fills gold it's How? really common, but I also want to have Oasis slide away because I remember being sat in the back of a car and that coming on and tears just rolling down my face. And I'd been up all night. I'd been out with my boyfriend and I was going home in a taxi and the sun was coming up and I was driving through Gorton or somewhere like Newton Heath 
and Slide Away came on and I was just like, what is this? That's my favourite Oasis song. Slide Away, okay. And then, yeah, Phil's Goldstone Roses, but I also love Saturn Five by Sparrow Carpets and Shell Shock by New Order, so just dropping those in there. And Love Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division. But if, if I could have an Happy Monday song, it would be Bob's Your Uncle. Oh, nice. <laughs> Joe, how was it kind of revisiting that in This Is England? Well, I was a bit gutted because that synth don't get to revisit that, does she? She's no, I suppose. She's in the house hanging out with Mr Sandu. Hello. <laughs> Sean. Um, well... It was pretty amazing, actually, and to watch. Because you was wearing them threads, right? I was wearing them threads, and I was checking up they were doing it right. Shane, <laughs> Shane nailed it. I was a bit like, come on. It's like when I saw 24-hour party people, I was like, this is not what it's like. Uh, <laughs> but it was a version of, so it was a brilliant film, actually. It was amazing. And it was the first time Steve Coogan had done anything like that. It was like, wow, I think it was the first time he had. But, um... Yeah, it was amazing, and it was good to sort of... It was better to be in it for real yeah. and the thick of it, but it was really nice to watch them all experience it, and they all really they all really connected with it, like Gadget and Tomo, and they loved it. I know Gadget was a big fan of all that as well, so Andrew Ellis, I was calling Gadget, he's, I have to start, he's a dad now. <laughs> oh, he's lovely. He's been on my other podcast, and... Uh... He's uh, he's such a lovely guy. Uh, we went up we went up to, to to Manchester and met him and uh, and hung out with him and that. And he's oh, he was a wonderful, wonderful lad. He was. He is. I adore him. And Tomo's the same. They all are. But it was really nice to revisit it. It was it was a great part of that show. Um, one of the elements of the show that I thought really worked, and you could have really pushed it more. But it was it was really effective. And they kind of went for the acid housey look, really. And um, you know, there was, there was, it was the beginnings of like, you know, what was going on and it was 86, wasn't it? So it was really early. Yeah. 88 as well. Mm. But no, they did it well and it was great. I mean, this is England. It's just, it's just great to be a part of that. It was, it's almost again, like things have just happened to me and I'm just so grateful and, and lucky to have been part of that. It, it's, this is England changed my life. Meeting Shane, really was sort of the catalyst for many, many changes in my life. And then meeting Ricky has been another um, sort of chapter of my career that's been really special. And, you know, in my skin, again, another family of people that I love and in a different way. But, yeah, This Is England was, was such a... Wow, I mean, I remember... I remember going for the, I didn't know I was having an audition. So I'd done Dead Man's Shoes with Shane and, um, and, and we'd become friends and I used to go and stay with him and, and Toby Kebble did a few of us did. And we, we kind of built this friendship and then I was visiting him one day and he said, Oh, I want you to come with me and I'm going to the Nottingham workshop just to do this. Will you help me? I'm auditioning these kids for this project I'm doing. I said, yeah, no problem. So we went along and there was about 18 kids there, young boys. Jack O'Connell was there. And I had to do the scene that I do in This Is England where he comes home and he's got the trousers on and he says, oh, I don't want these flares. And it's like, oh, dad got them, yeah. And um, I did that scene with all of them. And then we finished. And as we was going through the door, Shane said, oh, great. 
So I said, oh, it was, yeah, it was all right. And he said, you're the mum. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you'll be playing the mum in This Is England. It's my new film. And I just started crying. And he'd not told me I was auditioning because he knew that I'd be scared and full of self and being like, oh, to be better. And actually, I just, I remember I was the first person cast and I went on a journey with him around the country to try and find Sean. And we didn't have a Sean up to two weeks before. And Shane was literally crying with his head in his hands in Sainsbury's car park going, what am I going to do? I haven't got a lead. And then Des Hamilton got in touch and he'd found this kid and we went up to Grimsby. And we found, we had a couple of auditions. Tom, I walked in and sat down next to me. We did a, we did that scene. And I didn't know what happened. And after Shane shouted, cut, I was like, what, what happened? And he went, exactly, that's him. And apparently the chemistry between us was so powerful. I, I was so present in that. He just took, he, I was just so engaged in him. He was so strong. And, and we was looking for someone who was streetwise, but also vulnerable and little. And there was a few people Shane had in mind, but there was no one that just hit like Tomo, you know? And it was, yeah, it was, it, it, that was it. And, um, and then, then they went off and found the rest of the cast and, it was an amazing experience and that whole journey that I had on the movie was was a, was a sort of turning point in my own personal, emotional and spiritual life. I was 32, I think, was I? I was 30, 29, 30 when I did Dead Man's Shoes and then I, yeah, and I'd just gone through a breakup and there was a lot of things happening. I think a lot of things happen in, in your 30s generally and you have a lot of, an, you know, you, you hit, you can hit a bit of a brick wall. People seem to be doing it earlier now. But it's like, for me, it was that time and over that next eight years, my kind of mental health deteriorated slightly and I was in that journey with This Is England and um, and just something happened when we was making the series that changed my life, and uh, the rest is history. And it is the most amazing experience that I, sometimes I, it's impossible to articulate. But I wouldn't change a single thing of my past. The only thing that I would change if I could is I'd bring my dad back and let him see everything that I've done. But I'm sure he's watching me because sometimes I feel his spirit, you know as I do with my my mom and my family, they, they've been supportive right from the beginning. And I think that's all we need, Stu. Absolutely. Love, and music. Absolutely. And movies! <laughs> right, well, this is your opportunity to turn someone onto something new, Joe. Track seven, a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Oh, well, this is really me. I kind of want to just, it was very difficult because there's so many. But I wanted to just give a shout out to a, a really lovely friend of mine, Tom McHugh, an Irish guy that I've met through friends. And he's he's written a song. He's done a, a few, but he, it's a song that's on online there that you can get. It's called Stronger. And I just, he's such a beautiful guy, new artist. And I just wanted to shout that out. And so people can check it out. Um and and I think you often think, well, has it got to be someone no one knows or whatever? And, you know, uh, um, there's so many. But the other song I really liked is When in Rome, The Promise, but people will have heard that probably. Yeah. It was from Napoleon Dynamite. But I think 
Tom McHugh, Stronger, and um, another really good friend of mine, actually, Rowry James, uh, who wrote in, in about a year, he, he wrote a book and he wrote um, an album. And one of his um, songs is called Trip the Alarm. And it's kind of like, it's very, it seems like it's very poppy. It's like old school, but from back in time, but it's also quite contemporary. So those two people, Tom McHugh, Stronger, and Rowry James, Trip the Alarm, I think, and they're very new artists, but they're just really good mates of mine that I love dearly, and I like. I would like people to hear their music and support them. Wonderful. Well, Joe, we put together a, a Spotify playlist that uh, um, that'll be about five hours long because we'll add every single track that you've thrown in here. <laughs> I'm, I'm such a ninny. I, I missed out, like. Right, uh, Nature Boy, Nat King Cole. Come You're throwing on, like, some so- more in, laugh. No, you can tell we're near the end and you're just trying to cram them in as well. I'm in the minch, Don't ever, like, you know, expect me not to go crazy with music. It is it is the best thing, isn't it? But I will, I could send you the, the, the playlist, actually. I should do it myself rather than get used to all the work. But it's um, it's been a good experience and it's been a really nourishing experience and brought me back to some of the times in my life where I'd kind of forgotten or not hidden away but just yeah just especially the clubbing years I I just realized like last night how lucky I was and how I kind of missed it because it was totally off my face (laughs) (laughs) I was like I just danced through the eight the late 80s and early 90s and yeah and just realized wow and I have a lot of friends from that time who are still going and you know we lost quite a few but they're all like you see them now and I'm like no oh, you're in your 40s and 50s stop raving <laughs> <laughs> but you could never stop raving so well as we kind of come to the end of this year and and a strange year that it's been and we're going to stay positive for the the, the sake of this podcast Joe and, and and look at 2021 as something that's going to be a return to some you know some some normality of sorts and, and and something you know that's going to involve more connection and 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 hope uh, and fun um what are you looking forward to personally um what's happening professionally professionally personally okay so professionally i've got i think you know we're going to be doing afterlife three Ricky's written that now and he's probably still working on it and tweaking it, but we've done some great Zooms and had some wonderful laughs doing that. He's very kind, generous, generous to get us involved with the process of that and just ask questions. But he comes to it with with the ideas and then he lets us improvise, which is really kind. Um, and then um, I'm just about to start filming in Prague on something called Das Boots Season 3, and that was an offer and it's just a lovely role and I'm gonna sort of get my teeth into nothing too crazy but I really like the project I think it's classy and the 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 team that I'll be with are are really interesting and talented so I like to you know sort of immerse myself around uh, within good projects around good people so I can learn from them um and then there will be another project next year hopefully that I can't talk about yet um and Am I forgetting something? No, lots of voiceovers. I'm writing a couple of shows that I'm trying to write at the moment. Um, And voice work's keeping me busy. Um, Personally, 
I'm just working on my sort of own development, you know, like kind of reading a lot. I'm reading a book called The Untethered Soul at the moment by Michael Singer, which is powerful. And I've only just got to it, but it's a real amazing book about the narrator and, our, you know, the thinking, the narrator, the noise. It's a bit like Eckhart Tolle talks about the watcher and the thinker. And it's practicing separating the noise, the thoughts, the, you know, it's saying about this voice that we hear in our head sometimes. If we sort of zipped our head open and took it out and put a body on it, would it be a friend? And just trying to sort of tap into a lot of the podcasts that, you know, Russell Brand and Eckhart Tolle, Alan Watts, you know, Oprah. There's amazing stuff out there at the moment, Jay Shetty, people that are just um, really interested in Sam, is it, is it Sam Harris? Yeah, and, and there's a few people. Um, so personal development, I'm training a couple of times a week on Zoom with a personal trainer, trying to eat well, just trying to keep my mental hygiene good and trying to pay it forward, really, working as much as possible just in case family or friends get into any trouble financially so I can pass money on or just kind of, you know, be be of service. That is what I'm trying to do, actually, personally, be of service and keep it light and bright and try and enjoy the moment that we have because it's fleeting and, we yeah, we just... I'm trying not to take myself too seriously. But uh, work-wise, who knows? There's a couple... I've got a, a self-tape that I'm doing on Sunday as well. That's an amazing thing. And a couple of um, little short films and uh, a play, maybe. A play that I'm going to have a meeting for next next week on Zoom. And who knows? We could be in Mars next week. You never know. You never know. How but- about you, Stu? How about you? How are you doing? What are you up to? Oh, do you know what? The one thing that's been really, um, I guess, a little ray of sunshine in this bleak time is, um, you know, it's, it's terrible that, you know, so many people in the industries that, you know, in the creative industry are unable to, to work, but they've all still got something to say. And, you know, it's it's enabled things like this for me to talk to you. And so the yeah. podcast has, has, has kind of been a really nice distraction and a, and a really good way to connect with new people so I've, I've, I've really kind of thrown myself into into that and and i me and me and um Scroobius pip shout out to pip you've you done a wonderful episode with pip um yeah. pip and i have got a, a a podcast magazine that we work on and uh and so we're sort of div- you know that's that's entering into 2021 to be the, the third year of that so we're just kind of focusing on that and then hopefully get my nightclub open and uh and get back to yeah, people standing there raving. I want to come to that. I will come and rave. And, um, you know, talking about all that work, you know, that's next year and it, it might not happen. So just, just for today, I'm going to go for a walk in the park, connect with a bit of nature, make some tea. And I've got all the BAFTA films to watch at the moment because I'm on the BAFTA film committee, so I have to watch all those movies. And so that'll be good. Um, but you know, when we're back up and running, I'd love to come and hang out. And, um, I've noticed that your podcast has really like picked up some amazing guests and I've been listening to all of those. So I'm going to continue to listen to those. Um, I love, I love the kind of availability for podcasts at the moment. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? It's a bit overwhelming sometimes, but, um, I'm going to continue to listen to your, your work because it's brilliant. And I've really loved talking to you today Stu, and keep in touch with me joe you've been an absolute wonderful guest thank you so much for your time mate like i i, I had a feeling this was going to be a, a good natter and i wasn't wrong you was an absolute delight thank you so much thank you lovely thank you so much there you go 
I could have spoke to Joe for hours and hours and hours. You know, when you speak to someone that at that age got to experience the Hacienda, it's just, I, I just, there's endless chats to be had there and just looking, you know, getting to spend time talking to Joe about her career and just her, her stance on, on life and how she approaches it and, you know, the, the self-development and spending time, you know, on that self-development is just just fascinating and uh, and at the very very essence of it you know clearly you know a wonderful soul um so thanks again joe for your time um chatting and thanks to you lot for listening uh, as mentioned at the beginning as well um go and have a look in the archives because there's some ace chats to be enjoyed um and like i say if you want to support the podcast then you can do so at uh, our patreon page and get access to stacks and stacks and stacks of other shows there as well uh, you can find out about all of this stuff at off the beat and track not beaten beat and track podcast.com i'll see you next time bye-bye i've got an announcement save our souls clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk why am i telling you this because they're our official sponsor yeah that's right Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So, if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk, official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Eat it, boy.